Good evening, church. As always, thank you for being here. Thank you for your participation. I, I love you. I was thinking about that song, Brian. I didn't know that song either that we sang, uh, but man, what a good song. Turn my heart, O Lord, like rivers of water. Turn my heart, O Lord, by your hand till my whole life flows in the river of your spirit and my name brings honor to the Lamb. Lord, I surrender to your work in me. I rest my life within your loving hands. That's good. The pop quiz for you tonight as we start. Here's the question. Do you, can you fill in the blank? Yes. This above all to thine blank, blank be true. Oh, I already heard it. What is it? To, to thine own self be true. That's good. Okay, so that's, that's what it says. Anybody know who, who wrote it? Shakespeare. Shakespeare wrote it, right? Shakespeare wrote it. What play? Hamlet. Hamlet. John, John knows these answers. That's good. I figured John would know these. Hamlet wrote it. Who, who said it in Hamlet? Well, I think it was Polonius. Ah, good, good. Yes, it was Polonius. Okay, so it was Polonius. And, and it's interesting. We, we've heard this before, right? To thine own self be true. Um, or, or maybe if we sort of modernized it, be true to yourself, right? Be true to yourself. But it's interesting, if you go back and you, you watch Hamlet or you, you read Hamlet, when Polonius says this and, and you kind of, you know, read the character of Polonius, Polonius is not a character to emulate. He's kind of a foolish guy and he's, he's kind of always saying things that nobody is really listening to and he's kind of a hypocrite. And so all of the things that he says in this speech, and he's, he's making the speech to his son before his son goes off to school, and all of the things that he says in this speech are just kind of empty, hypocritical platitudes, but isn't it interesting how we sort of took this line, and it does, it sounds very wise, be true to yourself, to thine own self be true. And we've sort of taken that as if that's gospel truth. When even in the play in which we, we get it, or the play in which we read it, it, it wasn't even meant to be taken as truth. It was meant to sort of be a joke, that this is, this is an empty platitude from a foolish, hypocritical guy that's just always talking but doesn't even live up to what he's saying. And there's so many of these very similar platitudes that we, we sort of have begun to live by, haven't we? Be true to yourself. You do. You follow your heart. Speak your truth. And we've sort of taken these things really to heart in our culture, and, and this has become the, the ideas by which we try to operate our lives. It's really interesting sort of what's happened in culture that around the turn of the 20th century, but I think you could even go back before that, uh, there, there was really a switch from authority to authenticity, from authority, like we should operate our lives according to what outside authority tells us to do, whether that's God or the Bible or, you know, long before that, obviously, the gods or society or our parents or whatever the authority tells us to do. But somewhere around that time period, there was a real switch where we began to say, no, 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 we shouldn't listen to or operate our lives by the authority. We should operate by authenticity. And by that we mean our true self. 
And we should be true to our real self. And that we should find out who we want to be and what we want to do and be true to that. And really the, the authority comes from within rather than from the outside. We should find and be our authentic self. And really that idea has become part of the very air that we breathe, hasn't it? And we've really begun to accept the idea that Freud and others have kind of put forth and really has, again, become interwoven in our society that if you repress your true feelings, your true desires, if you repress those things, that it's really unhealthy and it's bad and you shouldn't deny yourself what you really want. Here's some interesting quotes. Well, the first one from Jonathan Grant said this, Modern authenticity encourages us to create our own beliefs and morality. The only rule being that they must resonate with who we feel we really are. The worst thing we can do is to conform to some moral code that is imposed on us from outside by society, our parents, the church, or whoever else. It is deemed to be self-evident that any such imposition would undermine our unique identity. Isn't that the way that we have begun to structure and think about how we should live our lives? That we, we think about in our culture, we think that our self, our true self, whatever that is, and, and I always say that I, I don't know what people mean by that when people say, well, I, this is what I really want. My, my go-to joke is that some days I want to be skinny and some days I want to eat a gallon of ice cream, right? I mean, I, I don't know what I want. One day I want one thing and the next day I want something that is totally contradictory to that. But somehow we're supposed to figure out what we really want, our true self, our authentic self, and then follow that and be true to that, and that, that's where the rule comes from. How we should live our life is only from internal things. Another uh, quote from Robert C. Roberts, he said this, we have been led to feel that the self is sacrosanct. Just as in earlier time, it was thought never fitting to deny God, so now it seems never right to deny oneself. And that's the world we're living in. And that's, that's the idea that we as Christians have to push back against. Not, not just for other people's sake. I, again, again, I'm not talking about anybody else. <laughs> I'm not talking about your neighbors. I'm not talking about culture. I'm not talking about society. I'm talking about you. And I'm talking about me. I'm talking about our struggle. Because we have all of these voices that are telling us, be true to yourself. You do you. Follow your heart. Figure out what's going to make you happy and then go do that. And the worst thing that you could possibly do is deny yourself or get in the way of getting what you really want. That's what everybody's telling us, isn't it? Except Jesus. Except the gospel the gospel is telling us, no, no, actually, actually, you will become the best version of yourself possible. You will become a new self if you die to yourself, if you deny yourself, if you crucify, mortify, put to death yourself, specifically the part of yourself, the aspect of yourself that scripture calls the flesh. And the flesh is what we're going to call the, the second enemy. We talked about the devil, and now we're going to begin to talk about the, the enemy of our flesh. 
So I, I want to review just a minute about the, the devil. We, we've been talking about the last few weeks. Did you, make, did you make your handbook? I thought I'd remind you about the handbook by bringing mine. I'm not going to read you a bunch of my entries because they really are things that I'm struggling with. But I, I did. Like I said last week, I labeled it Wes's Handbook for Combating Demons. Okay? I, I want to encourage you. I'm not joking. I, I really want to encourage you. Make a handbook for combating demons. Because there are demonic influences that, that we, are, we are doing battle against, aren't there? Lies, that we have to speak truth to the lies. One of them, I'll read you one of them that is in mind, that a passage that I've been thinking about a lot lately. I wrote, against the thought that my circumstance determines my joy. Because I, I struggle with that, don't you? Like, you, you, you need to be tired right now, you need to be exhausted right now, you need to be mad right now, you, you're, what's going on in your life, Wes, that you, you have every right to be mad, to be upset, to be depressed, to be discouraged, uh, to be anxious, to be afraid, and then I, I, I want to speak to that lie with this truth from Psalm 4 and verse 7, you, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. And that's true on the worst day, isn't it? God has put more joy in my heart than the world has when their grain and wine abound. So even when their circumstances are great and mine are horrible, I, I still have more joy in my heart than any circumstance can buy. And so I want to speak that to the lie every time I hear it in my mind. So again, I want to encourage you to do that because this is how we do battle. This is how we wrestle. We wrestle against demonic schemes by being equipped with the things Ephesians 6 lists. We wrestle against demonic schemes by being equipped with truth and righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God, Prayer and perseverance. This is nothing superstitious. This isn't hocus pocus. This is by having the truth of the gospel, by believing the truth of the gospel, by speaking the truth of the gospel, by being steadfast and constant in prayer, by persevering in truth and in righteousness, by being saved and knowing that you're saved. This is how we wrestle against demonic schemes. We know the truth and we speak the truth to the lies. And, and through the Spirit, we are able to stand. That's what we've been saying since the beginning of this class. Through the Spirit, we are able to resist. Through the Spirit, we are able to do battle against Satan. Through the Spirit, we are able to put to death the desires of our flesh. Through the Spirit, we are able to put to death the desires of the flesh. We are able to put to death these sinful desires. When we say flesh, I kind of want to walk through that for just a second. When we say flesh, the Greek word is sarks, and it could literally mean skin, like your body. But I think everybody understands that Paul is speaking metaphorically. He's not talking about the skin all the time when he talks about the flesh. He's talking about something deeper than that, something that's wrong with us, something that's corrupt in us. That's why the NIV sometimes translates it as, and other translations do as well, translates sarks as sinful nature. Um, and I, I see what they're trying to get at. Um, here's what John Mark Comer said. The flesh is the sinful appetite in all of us that feels 
natural to our bodies and yet is wrong. I thought that was a helpful definition. The flesh is this sinful appetite that we have in all of us that feels natural to our bodies and yet is wrong. And and we, especially in our culture, again, in a culture that is constantly telling us your desires are always good, your desires are always right, You you should capture your desires, you should embody your desires, you should live out your desires, you should express your desires, especially in our culture, we need to be reminded that there is an aspect of us that is corrupted by sin. There is an aspect of us that is corrupted by sin. There are some of our desires that are not good. They are wrong. They are sinful. Even though when we we feel those feelings or when we act on those feelings, it feels natural. It feels natural. And this is something that we all experience. We all experience. And sometimes because we don't talk about it, Because we don't talk about it, sometimes we feel like our experience of the flesh, the desires that we have, means that there is something uniquely wrong with me, uniquely wrong with you. It's not. We all have this common experience, don't we? We all have this common experience that we have desires that need to be mortified, desires that need to be put to death, desires that need to be resisted. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I I like this translation. It's the New Testament for everyone. And here's how N.T. Wright puts it. He says, uh, Ephesians 2 says, So where do you come into it all? Well, you were dead because of your offenses and sins. That was the road you used to travel, keeping in step with the world's present age, in step too with the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is even now at work among people whose lives consist of disobeying God. We're talking in this class about three enemies. One is the flesh, one is the devil, one is the world, and there you see the first two. And then he says in verse three, actually, that's how all of us used to behave, conditioned by physical desires. We used to do what our flesh and our minds were urging us to do. What was the result? We too were subject to wrath in our natural state, just like everyone else. And isn't that interesting that Paul, I mean, as religious as he was, growing up in a religious family, being taught the Torah from from the moment he was born, he began to be taught about God and about the law of God and about pleasing God, and he strove to please God. But even he could look back and say, before Jesus, this is how we all operated. We followed the pattern of the course of the world. We did what felt natural to us. We have all done that. We have all operated that way. And when we do that, when we live in and operate by what feels natural to us, what is corrupted in us, then we reap the natural result of that. And the natural result of living by what feels natural to us is death. Death. And Paul says, you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. We were all dead in our sins and our trespasses. That was the path we were on. It was a path that was leading to and destined for death. And that's where the path you'll still be on if you operate by and according to the flesh, 
according to those desires within you that are leading you towards and that are hungry for what is wrong. I like to think about it like this. I like to think about it in terms of what is easy versus what is good. Even when we know what's good, even when we know what's good, there is a part of us that wants what's easy, right? It's the lazy part of us. We want to take the shortcut. And and there's a part of us that wants all of the, the easy stuff. And the stuff that we know is not really good or right, but it's just easier. It's just easier. It feels more natural. And let's think through some of those things. Let's think through some of those things. What about, what about anger or even rage or even violence? There's a, there's a part of that that just feels natural. If you, if you slap me, if you literally slap me on the right cheek, guess what's going to feel like the natural thing for me to do to you? What feels like the natural thing to do to you is to slap you back, right? I mean, that's what feels natural. That's what, that's what I naturally want to do. In fact, if I don't slap you back, I'll probably go to bed tonight thinking about how maybe I should have slapped you back. That's how natural it feels. It feels very natural. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that, that rage is something that could come very naturally to me, personally. Throwing things when I get mad comes very natural to me. It feels like the right thing to do. If somebody makes me mad, it feels like the right thing to do to break something. And I don't know if that's something in my DNA. I don't know if I inherited that from my parents. I don't know if there's a gene that, that makes me more prone to that. I don't know if it's because of that, that is what I saw growing up sometimes. I, I don't know why that feels natural to me, but it definitely feels natural to me to have outbursts of anger. Now, is that my authentic self? Is that the self to which I should be true? Is that the heart I should follow? So when somebody says, Wes, follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Just, you know, search your heart. Figure out what's what's really you and then follow that. Okay, well, I don't know that you'll always like that because sometimes that would hurt people. And the truth is we, we know better than that, don't we? We all know, everybody knows, whether the person is a believer or an unbeliever, we all know that there are parts of us, desires in us, passions in us, impulses in us that need to be repressed. We know that, right? Nobody would look at a violent person and say, ah, be true to yourself, follow your heart. Nobody would say that to a violent person. We'd say, no, you need to stop being violent, period. It doesn't matter if you feel that way. You need to not do that. You need to repress those feelings. You need to repress those impulses. You will be a better version of yourself if you don't do what feels natural to you when you're angry. The only question is, the only question is, who's the one who gets to tell us? What feelings, what impulses, what desires need to be expressed and what need to be repressed or suppressed? Who gets to tell us that? Who gets to tell us that? Who gets to tell us, no, 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 this is not a good desire. This is not a good impulse. Even though it feels very natural for you to do that, it's not a good impulse. How about greed? Greed feels incredibly natural, doesn't it? It feels very natural to want to hoard resources, right? I mean, when the pandemic happened, I mean, there was a bunch of toilet paper, you know, some of us felt like it feels very natural to take as much as I can for me and my family. 
Forget about everybody else. I mean, animals do that, right? I mean, animals, when they, when they I, I, I assume, I haven't followed squirrels around very much lately, but I assume that a squirrel, if he saw a bunch of acorns, he would take as many as he could possibly get. He wouldn't think, you know what? There's a lot of other squirrels in the world. I need to, you know, share with everybody else, make sure everybody gets their fair share. I don't need to take more than I deserve. No, he's going to take as many as he can get his little paws on. And that's what feels natural to us too, doesn't it? It feels very natural for us to accumulate wealth, for us to build as much as we can build and take as much as we can take and get as much as we can get. It feels natural to us. So who gets to say what feelings, what impulses, what desires need to be expressed and what need to be suppressed? Who gets to say what's good and what's bad? We're all, to some degree or another, whether we say follow your heart or not, we're all listening to some sort of authority from somewhere. And so we have to decide, are we going to, as Christians, are we going to submit to the authority of Jesus? Are we going to submit to the authority of Scripture to allow God to teach us what is good and what is right, what, what desires are actually good desires that we, we should express, and what desires are not and need to be put to death? Look at Galatians chapter 5, just to get real specific on this. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19. Paul says this. He says, now the works of the flesh, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? The works of the flesh are evident, which is so interesting to me. If you just read Galatians, you know me, I love the context, but if you, if you read Galatians, he's really talking about religious people. Like the whole book is about Judaizers who are trying to force circumcision on Gentile converts. So these are non-Jewish people who have become Christians, and these Judaizers are saying, you have to follow the Torah, you have to be circumcised, you have to eat kosher food, you have to keep our traditions in order to be part of the covenant family of Abraham. And Paul says, no, you don't, that's a lie. You don't have to do that because salvation comes through the Spirit. Salvation comes through Jesus. All of us who are baptized into Christ are all children of Abraham, whether or not you're circumcised. But then, he, so when he's talking about living by and walking by the flesh, that's who he's talking about. But he's, he's actually saying this is the end result. It's all of this stuff. All of this stuff, it all goes hand in hand. Whether it's the quote-unquote worldly people that we think of, or it's the religious people who are living by the flesh rather than by the Spirit, it all goes hand in hand. And he says, here's, here's what the works of the flesh look like. It's evident. Sexual immorality, which is any sexual activity outside of a husband and a wife. Impurity, which is a very broad term, anything that's immoral. Sensuality, again, doing whatever you want. It's a lack of self-restraint. Doing what feels good to you, sensuality. Idolatry, worshiping anything or anyone except God. Sorcery, taking part in witchcraft. Enmity being enemies with one another, living at odds with one another, hating people, strife, fighting and arguing with people. Do, do you see how that's exactly what the Judaizers were doing? And it's really easy for the religious people, the legalistic people, the people that want to be saved selves or what they're doing with their life. But Paul says, you're all in the same category. It's all in the same category. 
both the people that are just living wild lives, just doing whatever feels good to them, and the person who's trying to save themselves by their own work and power and obedience to the law. Both of you are in the same category because both of you are living by and walking by the flesh. It's all by the flesh. And, and this is the proof of that. This is the evidence of that. The fighting with each other. The living in enmity with each other. The strife. The anger. The jealousy. The fits of anger. The rivalries. The dissensions and divisions. Creating and maintaining factions and parties. He says all of this is what it looks like to live and walk by the flesh. This is the proof This is the proof that a person is not living a spirit-filled life. And again, the, the call is for us to look at this and examine ourselves. Am I living a spirit-filled life? And we're going to talk more in this class about following the spirit and walking by the spirit, but or am I living by the flesh? Envy, resenting others because of what they have drunkenness and orgies, wild, unrestrained parties, and things like these. Again, it's, it's all part of one thing. Either, either you're following Jesus and putting these things to death, or you're not. The religious people don't get to look down their nose at the quote-unquote worldly people and say, well, y'all worldly people, you're living according to the flesh. Meanwhile, they're fighting with each other and bickering with each other, and saying all kinds of rude and ugly and mean things against each other, and think that they are right with God? No. It's all in the same category. I have to put to death whatever is worldly in me. In me. I have to die to myself. I have to put to death the deeds of the flesh, and these are the deeds of the flesh. And Paul says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So so find on that list where you struggle, where you struggle. Again, I I know I say it all the time, but it's really easy for us to get in finger-pointing mode, isn't it? And say, yeah, Wes, I'm glad you said something about so-and-so. I'm glad you said something about that sin or whatever. I'm not, I don't want to talk about their sin. I want to talk about my sin. I want to talk about your sin. So figure out where you're struggling. Your flesh that is leading you astray. Your desires and passions that you need to deny that you need to put to death. Look at Romans chapter 7, because I think this is helpful as well as we talk about what is the flesh. Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 18. Now, Paul, I, I think, I think again, there's a lot of debate about what Paul means here in Romans 7 and 8. I think that Paul is kind of using himself rhetorically. I, I don't think he's really specifically just talking, although he fits in this as well, but I don't think he's specifically talking about his own personal struggles. I think he's simply saying, this is, this is the human condition. This is the human condition when you are walking by the flesh, when you're living by the flesh, and even when you're, even when you're trying to be good according to the flesh. And that's the thing, isn't it? Everybody I know, everybody I know is trying to do what's good. Everybody, I don't know anybody who gets up in the morning and says, to be bad today. I'm just going to do as much bad stuff as I can do. I don't know anybody like that, do you? I don't know anybody like that. Everybody I know wants to be a good person. 
The question is, who gets to define what's good? The question is, by what means are you going to do what is good? By your own strength? By your own power? You have the knowledge, you have the wisdom, you have the strength, you have the power to do what's good, to figure out what's good, and to do what's good? Paul says, absolutely not, you don't. You don't. If anybody had been there and could have done it, it might have been Paul. He was a very religious guy, but he certainly wouldn't have considered himself looking back now in Christ. He wouldn't look back and say, yeah, I was, I was doing everything right. He would look back and say, I was the chief of sinners because my zeal for the law caused me to kill Christians and put them in prison. Romans 7 verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right. Again, we all want to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Been there? Yeah. And Paul is explaining this is why. This is why. This is the human condition. We all want to do what's right. We all want to do what's good. We want to live a good life. Again, everybody I know, the atheists I know, want to do what's right and good. They just have a different definition of what they think right and good is and who can help them be right and good than I do. I believe that nothing good dwells in my flesh. Now again, that, that's... That is a countercultural message, isn't it, today? Nothing good dwells in my flesh. I do not have the ability in and of myself to be good and to do good. Verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And that's a good, that's a good phrase to remember, isn't it? Evil lies close at hand. Now, I don't think Paul is, is expressing what we might call total depravity. I mean, he, he knows what's good and what's right. He's capable of seeing that and even saying, I want to do what's good and right. But he's also aware that within his own body, evil lies close at hand. Are we willing to acknowledge that? That the problem, the problem is right here in the members of my own body. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, the parts of my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now in Christ, now it's a different story. Now in Christ we can begin to make some progress. Now in Christ we can begin to be sanctified. Now in the Spirit, things are beginning to be set free, redeemed, right? And Paul is going to go on to talk about that in chapter 8. But we have to recognize this truth that, that in and of ourselves, with our own strength and our own power, we are weak. Again, I think that's one of the best definitions of the flesh, is the aspect of us that is weak and corrupt. Because even when we know, even when we know what's good, even when we know what's right, sometimes, many times, we do the opposite. 
But then he says in verse 1 of chapter 8, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Again, we'll talk more about that in coming weeks. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? Death. To set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Again, I have to constantly remind myself, you have to constantly remind yourself, there is an aspect of ourselves that is corrupt and weak That if I follow my own impulses and desires, if I simply do what feels natural to me, if you slap me and I slap you back, it feels natural, but Jesus told me, restrain yourself. Not only that, love them when they slap you. Turn, let them slap you on the other cheek. Nothing in the world feels more unnatural than that. Right? I mean, beyond just slapping, if you insult me and I say, let me have some more. I'll take some more, please. That doesn't feel natural. I don't want to do that. But Jesus says, this is the way of the cross. This is the way to life. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. And so the question is, do I trust my instincts? Because my instincts say, slap you back. My instinct says, I get, I'm going to insult you back. My instincts say, i got to get even with you. But my rabbi says, my Messiah says, my king says, that that's an aspect of myself. That vengeance part of me, that anger part of me, is an aspect of me that needs to die, that needs to be put to death, so that I live in life and peace. This doesn't feel natural. It's not the way of the flesh. It's the way of the spirit. And so I want to end with this thought, that the answers we're looking for are not in the self, but in the spirit. We're all looking for answers, aren't we? We're all looking for answers. We want to do what's right. We want to do what's right by ourselves. We want to do what's right by the people that we love. We want to do what's right by our neighbors. We want to do what's right. We want to do what's pleasing to God. But Paul says, if you walk according to the flesh, do what simply feels natural to you, you cannot please God like that. You cannot. You cannot pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You cannot cannot muscle your way through this. It is not your power or your strength or your wisdom The answers do not come from self. The answers come from the Spirit. So put to death the things in you that are worldly. Let's pray. 
Father God, we ask that you continue to do your good work in us through your spirit. Reshape us. Transform us. Break us and remake us. And Father, we know that we have to yield to that work. And Father, so often we resist you instead of resisting sin. And Father, we confess that to you. And we ask that by the sacrifice of Jesus, that you atone for our sins, that you continue to wash us clean, and that you help us to be sanctified in the Spirit and to yield to your work to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Father, I pray that we will all wrestle against the devil and his schemes, that we will stand strong, hold our heads high with the helmet of salvation upon our heads. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.